quick disclaimer before we start is that the audio, my audio and video did get corrupted, unfortunately. So after literally the first minute, we're going to switch to a backup recording, which was unfortunately recorded with my phone. And so the audio quality on my end won't be as high quality as Adam's. So please excuse that. But anyways, enjoy. Hey everyone, welcome back to Teenager Therapy. I'm Gael, and today I'm here with a very special guest. Adam, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, my name is Adam Moseri. I am the head of Instagram and excited to be here with you. So to get right into it, I think that Instagram has long been a dominant force for Gen Z and youth in general in their social media ecosystem. But as we move forward and as the app evolves, where do you see Instagram fitting into Gen Z's social media ecosystem? I mean, it's a big question to start with, just sort of straight to the big stuff. Right now, people come to Instagram primarily for two reasons. One is to connect with the people they care about most. And for young people, that's usually friends, not actually family. Um, and then they stay also to be entertained, particularly for um, to see creators, to see what it's like to you know live through someone else's eyes or be in someone else's shoes, right? You're talking about whether you're into athletes or musicians or artists or whatever it might be, there's all sorts of creatives on the platform. And so my sense or my hope is that we continue to do really well those two things, connecting people with the people they really care about and inspiring people and entertaining them. And how we do that, I assume, is going to have to change over time. People are messaging more. They're watching more video, power shifting from institutions to individuals. So all of these major shifts are going to change how exactly we go about doing that. But my, my intent is that we stay true to those um, aspirations, connect people to those they care about and inspire people. Yeah, I think a lot of young people recently have started to see Instagram as sort of a, an app that's quickly becoming outdated. You know, we got new apps like Snapchat. We have a TikTok. And for a lot of young people, they're starting to stray away from the Instagram ecosystem and move on to other apps. And I think uh, some of the reasons behind that could be that I think Instagram right now is going through a lot of change. You know, the Reels was recently added. Um, some users don't have likes anymore. And a shopping tab uh, was added. And a lot of young people see sort of this as Instagram straying away from catering to their needs and catering to a different audience. Do you think that these features were built with a younger generation in mind or an older one? They were definitely built with the younger generation in mind. I think that I'm sure some people are going to not be excited about change when you use something every day and then it changes on you. That can be frustrating. But I'm very confident that if Instagram says exactly the same, we're definitely going to become less relevant, not only with young people, but more broadly over time. Because the world changes, people's interests change, how people communicate changes. And so if we don't change along with it, I actually think that's the bigger risk. Now, does that mean that these changes are necessarily the right ones? No, we can be making mistakes. We obviously make mistakes from time to time. Um, but I think the bigger risk is not being willing to take those um, opportunities or to make those changes and just have what you do just become less important to people over time, which I think is inevitable if you stay exactly the same. 
And so what we're trying to do is, you know, lean into these things. So people are watching more and more video everywhere. You're seeing an explosion of video online across the whole world right now. TikTok has done amazing things with short form entertaining video, but YouTube is a behemoth. You're seeing how people consume media in India is changing. It's a whole global thing at this point. Shopping is another interesting one. Teens actually shop more than adults. They buy less, but they shop more because uh, shopping isn't the same thing as buying. So we're trying to lean into these changes. We're moving quickly. Um, there's a lot of room to improve on a couple of these areas, but I would much rather be trying to adapt to the world as it changes around us than holding on to something that was going to become irrelevant over time. Yeah, and I, I agree with that. I think a lot of the greatest changes were not popular at first, right? A lot of the really important changes were incredibly criticized. And I think that's how a lot of young people are viewing these changes. And it's definitely getting a while to get used to. I think, do you think you have a responsibility to try to make Instagram as, as healthy as possible? I think a lot of apps, per, you know, they want to increase user engagement and retention rates. But do you think that Instagram tries to keep in mind what a healthy retention rate can be and how sometimes getting stuck in this addictive, you know, scroll is uh, harmful for the mental health of your users. I mean, the mental health of our users is something that I think is incredibly important. It's definitely true that we care about how much people use Instagram. We think it's overall a good thing that people use it. It creates value and that if people are using it more, that's a good sign. But we also want to make sure people feel good about the time that they spend on Instagram. If you spend a bunch of time on Instagram and then you regret it or you feel bad about it afterwards, that can't be, it's definitely not good for you or your mental well-being, but it can't even be good for Instagram over the long run. And so we've tried to invest in a whole bunch of different ideas to make sure that people feel better about the time that they spend on the platform. I mean, we've built tools around managing how much time you spend. We've experimented with hiding light counts to try to depressurize the experience. We have actually all sorts of ways we ask people how they feel about the experience. You know, we run these surveys and we ask people questions about was something worth their time or not? And then we try and get better over time. So it's definitely something that is very top of mind for us and that we're constantly working on. Will likes ever be completely removed for Instagram? Is this something you're working towards? So we were exploring not removing likes, but making the like counts private. And it was actually very polarizing. Actually, I'm curious. Did you are you are you into that idea? Or are you not into that idea? You know, I think, I, it's 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 interesting. I see why, it's nice seeing the likes. But when I think about what's best for me and what I know is an uncomfortable change, but one that's needed, I think removing the likes is a a good option. I think it removes a lot of pressure. Um, and it's just part of that uncomfortable change that is inevitably good for us. Yeah, so some people feel really strongly that way. Some people feel really strongly they need to be gone for everyone. Some people really strong feel really strongly that it's not up to Instagram to take away something like that. So what we're leaning towards right now, but this is not final, is making it so that people can control their own experience. People can decide whether or not they want to have like counts or not. So we're going to try and experiment with that in the coming weeks. Um, but... And we'll see how that does. We'll see if people use those features. We'll see if people feel good about those features. To my point before about measuring how people feel about the experience. Uh, but my guess is we'll end up in some sort of place where people have 
more control and they can decide if they want like counts or not. That's really interesting. Um, something that I think is the overall theme of this conversation is mental health. And this initial topic was more about how you approach mental health and tying that in with your users and the care you have for that. But I also am really curious as to how you handle your own mental health. I mean, I don't think it could be overstated what big responsibility it is to handle a company as prestigious as Instagram and that has the kind of size of that company. So my question and what I what I hope to learn is how how did being in this position as head of Instagram affect your mental health and how did you uh you know get through the learning curve when you first entered the job? It's a big question. I I I'm constantly looking for ways to make sure that I'm taking care of myself. I don't feel that I can do what I need to do or live up to my responsibilities, whether or not they are my responsibilities as a dad, because I've got three boys, five, three, and 10 months, or my responsibilities as a husband or a friend, or my responsibilities at work for Instagram and to the people who use Instagram. I don't feel that I can live up to any of those unless I'm first taking care of myself. And so I'm constantly looking for ways to better um, manage the amount of stress and anxiety that I've presented with on a regular basis. And so whether it is trying to sleep more or eat well or drink decaf coffee or meditate or exercise, I'm constantly experimenting with different things um, and finding what my mind and what my body responds to and what I feel like I need. And that doesn't end. Um, and I wish I started that at a younger age. Um, but I've I've found that that helps me get through all that I need to get through and do what I need to get done. And I joined Instagram a couple of years ago, um, and I became the head of Instagram about half a year later when the founders left, and you know, things just accelerated in a really serious way. It was a big job before, but it became uh, a more stressful position afterwards. Um, but it was also a huge opportunity, so I was excited about it. But how to manage that and how to get, how to stay healthy, given that has been sort of an ongoing, I mean, you know, I don't know what to call it, journey for me, learning journey, I don't know. Um, but it's something I'm constantly thinking about and trying to get better at. Right. And what was that like when you first entered that responsibility? Was that something that you felt like you were prepared for? The first couple of months were really tough. Um, I joined Instagram in part to work with Mike and Kevin, the two founders. I'm a big fan of both of those guys. They've done amazing work. And so I was bummed about them leaving. But we also lost a couple of other leaders. So I felt like I didn't have um, a leadership team. And when you run a large organization, one of the most important things is the people you run it with, your leaders. And I had we had a lot of people leaving around that time. So those first couple of months were pretty dark. Um, I was about two or three months in, I was like, this was a horrible mistake. I should never have picked this job. Um, but slowly over time, you know, you get through it, you hire the right people. They start to impress you and surprise you and do amazing work. And um, about half a year, or maybe more like nine months into the job, um, I started to really, really enjoy it. And one of my favorite things about what I get to do is the most, is the amazing people I get to work with and learn from on a regular basis. And, um, and I love it. I wouldn't trade it for anything. So, but it was pretty, pretty tough this first 
couple of months. It got pretty dark there. It was like December of 18, January of 18 was pretty, pretty dark for me. I don't, what do you do to take care of yourself mentally? I mean, you're dealing with a different set of stressors, but they're just as intense in different ways. Definitely. I mean, I, I, I think I like to do a lot of reflection. I think that's really important. Um, and specifically, there's a lot of feelings that I think a lot of us have inside that we're not really processing fully. And we, it goes a lot deeper than you might intend. You know, sometimes you feel sad and you think you know why, but you start kind of maybe writing down about what you're feeling. And as you write more and more, you start to discover and the reasons behind your emotions become even more clear. So something I really enjoy doing is, uh, you know, getting out, taking a walk, reflecting and writing down my feelings and my emotions and uh, how the day has gone. That's something that I think is really important. Just having those healthy habits and doing it consistently. Yeah, that resonates a lot. I think I really want to know that I, I thought it was interesting. You said there was a really dark, dark time there. What exactly uh, was happening at that time in your life? I mean, I don't want to I don't want to complain too much. I'm in an amazingly privileged position. Um, but I think that what was tough was I was working really hard trying to fill in for some people who had left and didn't have new leaders yet in place. So one of the most important things you can do when you first take a role like that is to get the best people you can around you as quickly as possible, but that can take time. Um, and, you know, there was a little while there where I didn't have as much help as I needed. And then that made it so that I wasn't doing as good a job as I wanted to. And I felt like I was not doing right by the people who work at Instagram or the people who use Instagram, but also not as present as I should have been as a friend or as like a dad um, at home. And so when you get overextended, when you get under your and underwater like that, it can be pretty, pretty demoralizing because I don't know, I feel, I take pride in my ability to be, you know, a good dad and a good friend and a, you know, a good leader at work. And when you don't feel like you can live up to that, that can be, um, that can be tough. And that's, that was the heart of it. Um, but you, you keep, you know, you keep, moving, we put one foot in front of the other, you start to get the right people in place, you look for things that you can hand off to others, you trust other people. Um, you constantly reevaluate what you think is most important and what you can, what can wait, what you can pass on, what you can avoid doing for now. And, you know, eventually you dig your way out. And, you know, it took a half a year or so, but, but I dug my way out and I'm really happy I did. I'm really glad you were able to overcome that. I think when you were in that moment, did you ever feel like like you weren't capable? Did you ever start doubting your experience and your knowledge and your capability to do the job and manage it along with everything else that was going on in your life? I'm sure. I'm not sure I was as articulate about it as that. But in general, I think you know, imposter syndrome is something that most of us struggle with at different points in our lives. Uh, I have found that if I end up taking on a bigger role or more scope or more responsibility, it almost always works to sort of fake it till you make it. Just work really hard, embrace it, uh, lean on others, ask for help, and and eventually sort of dig your way out, so to speak. But yeah, there were definitely moments where I, I had I had doubts in my own abilities. But I tried primarily to just focus the energy on just making progress, hiring one more person, 
getting one more team to a better place, creating more clarity for the people who work at Instagram, getting something meaningful out to the people who use Instagram and progress, I find very motivating and very reassuring. Um, and it helps me quell my own doubts. And so I tried to just channel the energy into that as much as I could. Yeah. Handling all these people and making sure you are supporting the team that you're leading is incredibly difficult, especially when you're dealing uh, you know, with like imposter syndrome and you feel like you need more help. So in this time, who, who did you turn to to ask for help? If you, you know... Oh, that's a really good question. Yeah, no, I asked a lot of people for help. I mean, that's something that took me way too long to get good at. So something I highly encourage everyone to do is to feel comfortable asking for help. I leaned a lot on a couple people at Instagram, particularly some of the early leaders who we ended up hiring. Um, uh, back then, I didn't have all the leaders we have now, but one of them was uh, Vishal Shah, who runs product for us. He has my old job here. Um, but I also leaned heavily on people I'd worked with at the Facebook company over the years. Um, I leaned heavily on friends. I mean, I, you know, I was constantly talking to um, my one or two closest friends about how can I do better? How can I, you know, work around, work through this problem or get support with that? Or, or just sometimes you just needed to just not talk about work. Sometimes I just needed to hang out and talk about something else and just feel more like a normal person for a couple hours. Uh, so I leaned heavily on a couple of my closest friends, uh, Alejandra probably being the, the one I leaned on the most. But I do think that no matter what you do, no matter how old you are, I think one of the most important things is to know what kind of support structure you need and then to go out and make that happen. And the more senior you get in your career, the less you're going to get from your manager on average. It's just sort of the way it works. And so the more intentional you need to be about, okay, I need someone who I can bounce ideas off of and I need someone who can give me some emotional support and I need someone who can give me a good kick in the ass when I need it. So maybe that's your manager if you're lucky, but more likely than not, you have to go out and like find who those people are uh, and get it get it there. And I think that um, that's true not only in work, but in life. And I think the sooner people can be thoughtful about what they need, um, then the more, the sooner they can be effective at going out and asking for it and getting it. And then they can get to whatever, not just to a good place. It's not just about getting from a, a dark place to a light place. It's also about, you know, achieving your aspirations, about being fulfilled, about being happy. And so, I don't know. I encourage people to always be thoughtful about and reflective, to use your word, about what they want, what they need, and then how they can go and get it. Yeah. What, what is there any single person that has led you to the most personal or professional growth? The most personal or professional growth? The most professional growth probably was in the early, early years, and it was probably my mother. My mother runs an architecture firm, so she's her own business. And I, when I started out professionally, I was running a small design firm in New York City. And she taught me a ton about, about business, about how to write a contract, about being upfront about money and cost upfront, about self-advocating, about how to manage clients, about how to have hard conversations. And most of those lessons have stayed with me and are still useful today, even though I'm in a completely different job than, than she has and still does. Um, so I'd say probably my mom, uh, on the professional side, on the personal side, I don't know. There are a number of different people over the years who have really helped me. Some have been friends. I mentioned Hondra already. 
Fiji Simo is a woman who I find really helpful and amazing, both professionally and personally. She runs the Facebook app at the Facebook company. Uh, she's given me a lot of really good advice over the years. Um, different people over different years, and that's okay. Um, but there's a lot of people I feel really grateful for um, have, being able to have in my life and having supported me and helped me do what I do over the years. And, you know, that is, I don't know, that makes me happy. Just thinking of them makes me a little happy. Who's who do you lean on when when times get tough? You know what? I think I uh, I have a tendency to lean on myself instead of my support group. Uh, I think it's difficult to to feel like you can count on others, and I think uh, something in my life must have led me to be this way. So something that I'm working towards is learning how to lean on others and count on others and depend on them because I think it's equally as important as being independent. Independency isn't a, isn't as a, as much of a good thing as we're led to believe. So it's definitely something that um, I'm currently working on, but it, it makes me glad to hear that your mother was a big source of your professional growth and I'm sure a lot of personal growth as well. Um, mostly personal of anything. Um, I think when you were younger, what kind of person were you? And do you think now are you the person that you, you hope to be back then? Oh man, I wish I had some pictures to show you. I wish we could do a screen share right now. Um, I was, I was, uh, I, I mean, I was, I looked like Harry Potter before Harry Potter was cool. I had big round coke size glasses that made my eyes enormous and some sort of variation on a bowl cut from the 80s it was not a good look i was a i was a goofy nerdy um uptight kid i i was uh, i worked hard in school i got good grades um i was not cool i was i was very 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 not cool um but i had a lot of fun um high school i sort of came out of my shell a little bit. Um, but as a, as a, as like a 20 something, I was really a hothead. Um, really, you know, very passionate, particularly about work. Um, very hardworking still, but like definitely let my emotions get the better of me on a regular basis. And now that I'm in my thirties, I've been trying to become a little bit more level-headed, a little bit more consistent and um, more of a stabilizing force than a randomizing force. And so I'm sure I have a way to go. I'm sure my colleagues and my family members and my friends would tell me that I'm nowhere near as far along that journey as I think I am. I count on them to keep me honest. Um, but that's been the rough arc of my journey from like a, a goofy nerdy kid who was made fun of a lot in high school to like a passionate hothead designer who was just talking too much in my 20s to hopefully a little bit more of a um, level-headed leader with perspective if I'm lucky uh, in my 30s. But we will see. Uh, maybe I have farther to go than I thought. You know what? I think the the nerdy, uh, shy kid is definitely a common theme in a lot, of, uh, a lot of big companies. So maybe there's a science behind that. There's some sort of reasoning for why that is. I think... I think part of being a great leader is having the courage to be vulnerable and and not only own up to your mistakes, but really have no ego and see the value in each of your 
of your of your teammates and in every and everyone that's part of your team and something that um i we i we really advocate for in our podcast is vulnerability and having the courage to open up and let someone someone hurt you do you think that being vulnerable is a quality that a good leader a good ceo needs to have in order to lead a successful team yeah i do i think it's a it's a it's an important tool it's an important characteristic i think you need to be careful with how you deploy it or how you use that but i do think it's super important i mean the the most straightforward and i think at least what i feel most passionately about is that you need to be able to admit your mistakes like when you make a mistake you need to take responsibility for that mistake and do it in a very public way. It's a very powerful thing to do as a leader um, is to insulate your people when mistakes are made by taking responsibility for it yourself and pushing credit down to your people when things go well. It is, I think, the right thing to do. It also motivates people. It also, I think, gets you to a better place over the long run in terms of the work that you're doing. So, and that's one type of vulnerability. Um, I think there are other things to do, right? You can, you can, you can be more transparent. You can share more. You can put yourself out there more. And I think that's all. Those are all good tools too. You do need to be careful. I think you want to be careful not to express too much doubt in certain cases when that might demotivate teams and make it harder for them to do their work. So there's sometimes where you need to be the anchor or the positive force with your people. And there are other times where I think it's super important and inspiring for you to let your team know that you don't necessarily have all the answers and it's, you know, it's okay to fail, for instance. It's a balancing act. All Managing is always about balance. Our leading is always about balance. What are all the different things you need to consider? And then what is the best thing you can do in, in the moment, given all of those considerations? And you just... You just do the best you can and you move on to the next decision. Um, but I do think vulnerability, whether it is expressing doubt, taking ownership of mistakes, um, or sharing more of yourself are all really important tools of leadership. Yeah, that's a really, that's a really good perspective on it. Um, I think for me, one of, I'm very, I'm very much passionate about entrepreneurship and business and uh, you know, running a company and creating one and growing it along with the right team. Something that I'm really curious about is what the the job requires, because I think it's a very uh, it's a very general concept to say, uh, you know, I am a CEO. What is what exactly does does that look like in 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 your role? What kind of stuff it goes on in your day to day life? Is it a lot of uh, just meetings and overall big picture things, or are you really getting into the finer details of things? Uh, it depends. My bias is to get into the details, but I probably should get into the details less. And a lot of my people would tell you the same. I think the job is primarily about setting people up for success. Like with most of my people, what I'm trying to do is make sure that we agree on what we're trying to accomplish and what are the what kind of approach we want to take to the problem that we're trying to solve. But then I try to create space for people to figure out how to actually get there. Because as a leader of a large organization, you can't be making all the decisions yourself. You're going to become 
uh, what we call a bottleneck. So you're going to slow down the whole company or the whole organization because every decision has to run through you and there's only so much you can process and so much you can think about at a time. And so I think you need to make sure that there's a shared vision for where you want to get to, a shared understanding of what success looks like, some parameters or some basics and principles about how you want to approach it, what's okay and what's not. But then you really want to like hire and motivate great people and get out of their way. And I think that's the core thing. Um, you end up talking a lot or you end up writing a lot. It's You end up trying to share perspective and motivate people and honestly repeat yourself all the time. It's exhausting. Um, but to slowly get people to internalize what you need them to internalize and then go and do what they do best. And you end up, it's like, um, it's, it's mostly communication. There's definitely strategy. There's definitely a lot of thinking. Um, there's definitely a lot of getting in the details. I think that's healthy just to keep you sharp. Um, but, but most of what you do is communicate. You need to figure out what they, everyone needs to hear and know and understand, and then you need to go get them that. Yeah. What has what has been the most important factor in advancing your education and just expertise that prepares you for a role like this? For me, it was embracing my my. I don't know what the right word is. My shape, let's say. So. I always wanted to be a a like a a specialist, amazing at one thing. I come from a family of creatives. My mother is an architect. My sister is a furniture designer. My brother just got nominated for um, an Oscar for a film score he wrote for the movie Minari. Um, they're all like creatives, you know. And they're re- and my dad is a psychotherapist, which is a different type of thing. But again, he's a specialist. And so I was a designer, and I was you know I was okay. Um, you know, middle of the pack, maybe. Um, and it wasn't until I embraced the fact that I'm not great at anything, but I'm good at a lot of things. I'm more of a generalist that my career started to take off. Uh, and I became at that point, this is back maybe nine years ago now, what we call a product manager in tech. So it's like a, a or a PM for short. So you manage a project, um, or a product and, you need to work with design and work with engineering and figure out how to talk about the thing publicly and figure out how to market the thing. And so you have to be involved in lots of different aspects of the work. And I think being a leader of an organization is similar. You, It's good to have one or two areas that you're really passionate about and where you really excel. But in general, you need to have range. You need to be a generalist. Um, and so for me personally, when I embrace that about myself, that's when... I found I unlocked the most potential for for my own career. That's so interesting. That is so interesting because I think you just kind of summed up how a question that I've been asking myself for a really, a really long time, which is, you know, what am I truthfully skilled at and what is my area of expertise? And I think something that I hadn't realized up until now, uh, thanks to you, is uh, I guess the term of a generalist. That's really interesting that that's how you view yourself i uh i was not aware that that was something that existed out there so uh thank you for sharing that that piece of knowledge that that's going to be such a big help oh yeah well i'm glad i'm glad i mean look we all have different shapes right like and if i could wave a magic wand i would be like an amazing designer or an amazing engineer but it's just not my shape and you need to you need to align your 
aspirations and your abilities, right? You need to find the overlap between what you're good at and what you love doing. And when you do that, you unlock an immense amount of potential. Um, and they're both important and that's okay. Um, and by the way, what you're good at will change over time. You can work at things, you can get better at things. And so it's not like a static thing that you need to, or a question you need to answer when you're you know, 19 and then be set for the rest of life. It's a, a constant conversation. Um, but, uh, but I really believe in that idea. I really believe in trying to find the overlap between what you're good at and what you love. And when you do find that sweet spot, you go all in. I see, uh, I see in the background, you have a lot of exercise equipment, which I'm a little jealous of. Is exercise something that's a big oh, in your yeah. life? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, sorry, you're literally in my garage because I have little kids. So I hide out here and I work in the garage all day, but it's also where I exercise, my gym. Um, all my anxiety goes into, during the pandemic specifically, has gone into exercise and eating really well. So uh, it's how I let out, um, let off steam, blow off steam. I don't even remember the expression anymore. But yeah, this is this is my morning routine as I work out in here. Well, I make the kids breakfast, hang out with them for a bit, send them to school, get my workout in, shower, and then I get right here at my little desk set up and I'm on looking at a glowing rectangle all day long. <laughs> that seems that seems really nice. I know. What out of curiosity, what university did you go to? Ooh, uh, I went to. New York University. I went to NYU, and it was uh, it was it was amazing because I was going to college in a an amazing city, and the city was a resource every bit as much as the university was. Uh, so I had I had a lot of fun, probably too much fun, um, but I learned a lot, and I wouldn't trade one day of it. That's really that's really nice. I know NYU is a big uh, a big a very very popular school for a lot of our listeners, and we actually just. Uh, just finished up college applications. And uh, so I think a lot of students are right now oh, very, uh, very excited. Do you, uh, do you have any- I remember that period so well. Really? What schools did you apply to? Was NYU your dream school? No, I was, I was gonna go, I was really into McGill up in Montreal and I was really into University of Chicago. And I was gonna go to University of Chicago. And then the last day I changed my mind uh, my parents think it's because I wanted to stay closer to home because I lived outside of New York and they were going through a divorce. But I think I just wanted to be in New York City. Um, but I just remember being so stressful, just being like, where, like, feels like such a big decision. You have to, like, you get to visit these schools if you're lucky, but, you know, what do you do? You spend a couple hours there and you have to make a decision if you want to live there for four years. The truth is you can be happy no matter what school you go to, but at the time it didn't feel that way. At the time it felt like, it has to be a right decision and a wrong decision. I don't want to get it wrong. So I remember being really stressed about it. Oh yeah, that's definitely how a lot of uh, teenagers feel right now. What's your best advice for someone going to NYU? Ooh, NYU, you can work it. NYU will teach you that if you really want something, you got to go out and get it. Because it's such a large school that you you kind of have to be motivated. Um, to, to get the most out of it. Um, I went to a school at NYU called Gallatin where you make up your own major. And I weaseled my way into all sorts of classes I had no business being in. 
Tisch photography classes, graduate school classes, philosophy classes. Um, and I learned a lot in the classes, but I think what I learned the most from my experience at NYU was, was how to, how to be scrappy, how to, how to, how to, how to hustle, how to go out and get something when I really wanted it. And I think that was a skill that has served me to this day. That's interesting. Well, lastly, is there anything that I haven't asked about that you believe is important to you or something that you want to share? I mean, there's so much going on right now. I mean, I don't know. You, you have an amazing podcast. I'm a big fan of what you all do from over here. So we're just excited to be part of it at Instagram. Um, I think just raising awareness around issues, encouraging reflection, talking about mental health. These are things, destigmatizing mental health. These are things that I think are just really important, particularly this year. I mean, we are in the midst of a global pandemic. If you're in high school, or if you're in college, having your senior or junior year of high school, your freshman or sophomore year of college, like be during a pandemic is a tough break. That is not the traditional quintessential experience of being, you know, being a teenager or being 20 years old. And I'm sure it makes everything more complicated. So that just makes it more important than what you're doing, more important for you to keep doing what you're doing. Um, And so just a big fan. And I want to make sure we're doing all we can to support you all. Um, and I don't know, just a big, to say a big thank you. Thank you, Adam. That means a lot, uh, coming from, uh, the main man at Instagram. Um, anyways, thank you everyone for listening. Uh, I hope you all took something out of this and you learned something because there was definitely a lot of wisdom spoken here. So again, Adam, thank you for your time. It was a great conversation. Thank you, girl. Such a pleasure. Stay in touch.